Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Welcome to the Andy Staples Show, and we're together again, finally. Ari Wasserman, I've missed you. Uh, I missed you a lot, man. Um, <laughs> I don't know if I, if I, I hope I sound okay. I've had a rough 24 hours. Um, it was my best, most efficient calorie counting day because I was uh, 2,300 zero. under my limit. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you consume zero and... <laughs> That's right. That counts, right? Um, uh, yeah, especially since you were probably burning a lot uh, running back and forth to the bathroom. That's right. Yeah. Um, I still feel super lethargic, but never too tired to talk to you now that I'm not, you know, actually sick. So now um, was was this one of the because I feel like every parent of a very young child has a a a stretch where the child, the young child picks up something daycare, you know, going to see relatives, something like that, Mm -hmm. picks up a stomach bug. And then the parents are just like problem child to merry-go-round vomiting scene at some point. Yeah, well, I don't know that it happened that way because our baby, thankfully, is not sick. Um, She's at daycare right now. Um, She she will hit you with one one of these days, though. I'm warning you now. Yes, no, I know. Um, But that was our number one concern, and and Britt's mom came over and was like a superhero because she was taking care of the baby and us at the same time all by herself. Um, But Britt came home. On Saturday night, she went out um, to dinner and drinks with a friend, and she was feeling good. We went to sleep, and then the next morning, Britt got super sick, so I thought she had food poisoning. And I was like, okay, well, I'll take care of this. I felt fine, um, you know, in between 8 a.m., and we were texting, like, I can't wait to do the podcast tonight. It was like 9, 9 a.m., and then, like, around 11 o'clock, it started for me. So it wasn't we, – we ruled out food poisoning, and then uh, right, Max Right, because you didn't eat the same things, even though – Yeah, well, I mean, yeah. and if it was food poisoning – we we didn't eat together since the previous lunch, so you know I, I think that I, she caught a bug somewhere, and then she gave me the bug, Oof. and then Max Olson texted me last night when I was sleeping, but he said he knew exactly what I had because he got it too, uh, and it's called the uh, the norovirus. I don't even know oh, how you get that, yeah. but I went and, I went and Wikipedia it, and every single symptom that he said um, he had was in that norovirus, and I did too. And the worst thing about it was. You know, when you feel so fatigued that like just getting up and walking to the bathroom seems hard, like that's yes. the worst part. So I still kind of feel that a little bit. And I have a flight to L.A. that leaves at 10 p.m. tonight. So I'm going to try to, you know, work through that. Um, but now that the the physical illness is done, I'll just have to power through that. And hopefully it'll be gone by tomorrow. Yeah. Well, you're going to the Elite 11. And I have I have questions about that. I'm, I'm very intrigued about you know, all the you're going to see all the. All the big time quarterbacks, everybody that that everybody wants to see, and I'm curious, who are you most excited to see in person? I know you you've seen Nico. Uh, have you seen Arch throw yet? No, I've I've never seen Arch throw, and Arch isn't going to the Elite Eleven. Oh, that's so. right, because he had the he has his own passing account. Wait, no, 
I mean, no, I, I think you have uncles, you, but yeah, his uncles are his passing academy. But I, you, in order, because I asked the person who works at the Elite Eleven, and in order for you to ever get invited, there's no, there's no um, exceptions. You have to go to a regional camp and oh, throw and right. get that's accepted. Right. And he never went to them, so he's not going. Um, but I'm, I'm looking forward to all of them. And in the column I'm going to write, I already know I'm going to write this. I've been thinking about it for two weeks. But last year when I when I went to the Elite Eleven. And I got to watch Quinn Ewers throw. It kind of was the, the and this is the whole column idea. I'm allowed to lay out what I'm going to write before I write it on here. Hopefully nobody steals the idea. Workshop but, it, baby. Workshop but, it. But Quinn Ewers kind of became human there last year because it, ah. he was this overly rated, not overly rated, but this this perfectly rated quarterback that everybody thought was flawless. And then he went out there and it was, you know, not that he's not good, but it was a reminder that everybody on the field is very, very good. And I think it, it, brought some perspective to just how you know good all of the top 11 players or 15 players that are at this place are and that when you think somebody's an unmistakably good can't miss number one overall pick the way that yours was viewed last year it, it, it brought some perspective to his recruitment and who he was and this year without arch going to um this camp and going against jackson arnold and pierce clarkson and Zane Flores and Eli Holstein and all the guys, Malachi Nelson, Dante Moore. We're not going to get that perspective on Manning. And it feels right. almost, it, it feels like something would be missing there. So I want to talk to other guys there about, you know, what it's like to not have him there, you know, and, you know, maybe write a little bit about how, you know, Arch Manning's absence from a lot of these things and, and basically absence from the entire recruiting world you know, is actually feeding into his hype. I, I think you can make the case because everybody loves him for not making the graphics and not doing the NIL stuff and all the things that are like the old school quote unquote recruitment. Mm-hmm. But I think that you could make the case that his his lack of media availability, um, his, you know, not participating in camps, all the things that he has abstained from has actually fed the, the hype beast a little bit more than it would be if you could just call him on the phone and get an update. So Well, it, yeah, he's, he becomes like Sasquatch, basically. Right. Because I remember when when Johnny Manziel was working toward the Heisman as a redshirt freshman in 2012, they weren't letting him talk at Texas A&M. They had a no-freshman interviews rule. And they decided toward the end that they were going to let him talk. But I didn't know that yet. I was scheduled that SI wanted me to do a big Johnny Manziel feature. And... My hope was that they would not let him talk before this story came out. And so the story could just be the legend, all of the tall tales. Because at that point, it was just getting crazier and crazier. And all the stories you'd hear were get get wilder and wilder. You had, you know, the Scooby-Doo Halloween costume, the the shirtless mugshot when he got arrested, all that stuff. And so... I wanted to let the legend be the legend, and then then he'd talk, and it, it wouldn't be as, as much fun. And I remember I was working on that story. I'd been in College Station, I think, for a day, and I talked to a bunch of people. I'd met a bunch of the family, and no one had said whether Johnny was going to talk or not. And I'm in Cliff Kingsbury's office. He was the offensive coordinator at the time. And Johnny Manziel appears behind me, and I almost said, dang it, like... I don't want to talk to you right now because I had this whole thing in my head, but it, it, it wound up fine. He, you know, Johnny definitely knew how to talk to the media. That that was not that why they were why they were keeping him from doing that. And 
he was actually pretty funny talking for the story. But I, I just had this vision in my head of, of this this mythical creature. And, and you're right. That's what Arch Manning has become, this mythical quarterback creature that – and you mentioned the Quinn Ewers. And, and I think that one of my favorite parts of all those shows you guys did last week when Arch committed to Texas was examining the, the dynamics with Quinn Ewers coming – and then Arch Manning coming in right behind him. And Quinn Ewers was this guy last year. And I'll, I, rem, I remember this specifically, but last year there, I was sitting in the corner of the uh, end zone at the Elite 11 um, at whatever high school it was at, and they were doing this drill where the quarterbacks were standing at the 25-yard line, and they were trying to throw it into tight windows into the end zone. And, you know, everybody was being watched and graded. The entire camp was around there. The media was on the sideline. I think I was standing next to Antonio Morales. And and Ewers threw a pass that missed completely. Like, it was like uh. a terrible pass. And everybody just went like, oh. Like, they like gasped. Like, they could not believe that this person could miss any throw ever. Because that's the expectation that was created for him. Right. Um, and we're not going to get to see Arch Manning miss a throw this year. And I wanted to see him miss one. I wanted to see how people would think... Um, you know, he, this perfect specimen. Yeah. Yeah. People, it's just like, even if you're the number one overall player in the country, he's human. He's a human being and he's still developing. You know, a lot of things that people don't realize is that the recruiting rankings are, you know, as mit, as much about projection and how good somebody can be in three years as they are about how good they already are. So, yeah. You know, the fact that he's not going, I think, is going to play into the legend that is Arch Manning. And, like, he might go to Texas next year and disappear for another year. Like, when's the next time we're going to see Arch Manning um, in a meaningful interview situation? Like, is it going to be Texas's spring game next year? Like, is that how long it's going to take for us to really, you know, get our eyes on him? Because most people who listen to this podcast probably haven't even watched his highlight tape. Like, they just right. hear his name and they see his ranking and they build him up into and I'm not saying he's not going to be great, but it is funny that a calendar year ago to right now, Quinn Ewers was the same exact prospect in terms of how we viewed him. Now, it's not quite as big in the cachet world because he doesn't have the last name of Manning, but now they're both going to be on the same team uh, you know, in a year and a half, and it'll be very interesting to see how it all plays out. Yeah, it is, it is going to be just a fascinating dynamic, and I was talking about this on the show yesterday, Ari. We talk about the hit rates and and how look nothing's guaranteed with a five star quarterback, even with a five star quarterback, I guess. But if you got two in a row stacked up, chances are one of them's going to be pretty good. Now that doesn't mean it's going to be an easy situation. And and you guys kind of briefly touched on it, but I thought we should talk about some of these situations where you've had a guy come in and he was a big time recruit, and you thought he was the guy. And then the next guy comes in. You had it happen two years in a row in the SEC with programs that were national title type competitive programs. You had Jalen Hurts start as a freshman in 2016 at Alabama, take Alabama to the national title game. They did not win. 2017, he takes them back there, but then Tua Tungavailoa comes in and saves them, and he winds up the start of the next season. Meanwhile, Jake Fromm had replaced Jacob Eason. Like, Jacob Easton was that guy in the class of 2016. He gets hurt the first week of 2017. Jake Fromm becomes the guy. And then Justin Fields comes in the next year, 
and can't unseat Jake Fromm. And, and we killed Kirby until he won the national title because he didn't pick Justin Fields over Jake Fromm. So how, how hard is that to juggle when it is, I mean, Quinn Ewers and, and Arch Manning, don't they both have perfect 247 ratings? I think the only three quarterbacks of all time um, with perfect 247 composite rankings all have been to Texas. It's, it's Arch, uh, Quinn, and Vince Young. That's crazy. That is that is wild, and Vince Young obviously worked out. Now they had well, the to question kind of here that is, out and I first. haven't looked this up yet. But here's the question: Has anybody signed back to back five star quarterbacks in back to back classes, and then both started multiple years at that program? Oh, I can't even. I can't remember anybody like that. I so it's like people. I was getting a bunch of crap from Texas fans on Twitter about it, but I just said, hey, this is probably not going to work out exactly according to plan, and that's not to disparage or or act like not, that I don't think Quinn or Arch will be very good. It's just these situations just don't pan out the way that you think they do because right now Texas fans are looking at it and saying, okay, Quinn Ewers will win the job this year. He'll have a good year. Arch Manning will come in next year. Uh, redshirt his freshman year. Quinn Ewers will have another good year. He'll go to the NFL early, and then, then Arch will start as a redshirt freshman. It's like, that sounds great. That's a great plan. You think it's going to work out that way? Probably not. Probably somebody gets hurt. Somebody has to come in. Quinn doesn't start. Yeah. Know, anything can happen. Maybe what if Hudson Card is the starter the, this year? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It is a, it, yeah, it, and it is it is fraught, especially with, with guys that can transfer at the drop of a hat. Now, Quinn Ewers can't because he's already transferred once. So. Which makes this make, whole thing even more interesting, by the way. I was going to say. Yeah. If Quinn Ewers, let, let's say Quinn Ewers never reclassified, had signed with Texas in the class of 2022, as uh, that was the original, original plan before things changed. Would Arch still be going to Texas? I believe or would that be a difference? I be, okay. I mean, I've never spoken to Arch, and I know that's weird to say, but I believe that he would be. No, it, it, it's not weird to ba- say. He's been very on, private through this whole thing. Yeah, yeah, but it's like usually people of that stature I've had a conversation with at this point, and uh, it's not for a lack of trying, but you know, it's just a weird thing because most players do take that into account but I, I i don't know if you look at the evaluation process how much person starting in front of him is going to matter because it's not like alabama and georgia i mean if, if he would have had to go to alabama or if he would have picked alabama he would have had there to compete been, with eli right. holstein immediately exactly and there's exactly. two two five-star quarterbacks on Georgia's roster that haven't played yet, right? So, I mean, either way, like, you're going to be running into it. So, Well, and that's the thing. I I do wonder, like, had he gone to Alabama, would Eli Holstein have looked around to maybe go somewhere else? We don't know. We don't know. I mean, this is... This has just been fascinating, this whole thing. And I did love the, the this is my first tweet. I'm just going to tweet. I committed, and that's it. That's I'm it. done. Yeah. It yeah, was, it was so pretty awesome. I, I got to admit. We'll be right back after this message from one of our lovely sponsors. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Mother's Day is around the corner. 
Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. The layers to this are very interesting. And the, the additional layer that came on Monday night while you were sort of in and out and in bed trying to, to recover was that Texas got five more players committed, which you predicted was going to happen when Arch committed. You said they're going to go on a run because then he becomes the Pied Piper, which, by the way, that's what Peyton did. That's what Eli did when they committed to their respective schools back in the day. Yeah, um, I was a little disappointed because when I looked at the ratings, like they were all kind of you know low-level four and three stars. I, I think they got one that was a top 200 player, if I'm not mistaken. Um, yeah, they're- yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, Jaden Chapman. Yep. Uh, so I'm very curious about like how Texas's class is going to finish because, um, I mean, didn't they just jump from like 20 something to two in the team rankings? Um, cause they have so many players. No, wait, no, they're five now. Um, well, but their and, and average a, player rating is still, sh- there's a lot left to shake out. There's in the average numbers. player rating, though, was 90.84. And I think that's probably not even a, I mean that might be a fringe top ten number, right? So you want you want their class to have some top end, you know, star power to go along with Arch Manning. And if you look at their targets, I mean, like a guy like John Tay Cook, who is a five star receiver from the Dallas area, who, yeah, you know, I, I think is probably going to end up there now. Who might not have gone there without Arch? I mean, these are the types of guys: David Hicks, Anthony Hill, um, you know, Cedric Baxter. There's a lot of five star, four star, top one hundred players that are on Texas's board. And I'm very curious to see how it's all going to finish out. So, like, the flurry of commitments I think is appropriate, but I want to see a flurry of commitments of of top 100 guys that – because, like, that's the thing that I've always thought was interesting is, like, is – and I've said it on the podcast before, but I'd be here, you know, happy to hear what you have to say, but, like, is Arch Manning's value to Texas um, his actual play as a quarterback or is it how he has lifted the profile of the program? Well, one could say that Quinn Ewers was, was capable of doing the same thing. So – that, but Quinn Ewers' commitment was or wasn't a commitment out of high school. It was a transfer. Right, was a so transfer. I think that was a little bit different. But even so, I think that the idea that Arch Manning, who is like the most high profile uh, recruit of all time, had more resources and money and ability to break down schools in a more thorough way than most other prospects ever have, went from coast to coast on visits. Uh, you know, got down to Alabama, Georgia, and Texas, and at the end of the road with all the information, all the studying, all the talks behind closed doors, decided, you know what? Texas is the best place for me. And like, regardless of what he ends up doing in the next year or two on the field, there is a certain level of, oh my goodness, if the most high profile uh, athlete and recruit of all time thought that Texas in the modern day um, was the best place for him, then maybe I should go take an extra visit there. Or maybe I should look a little bit closer at them. And the next thing you know, you know, you've got other five-star players coming into the fold that might not have gone there without him. So I wonder, like, if this commitment, because even though Quinn Ewers' transfer was a big deal, I'm not going to try to downplay it. I don't think that there's been any commitment that's ever single-handedly felt like it changed a program like this just from the commitment. Not from how they, not not what they do there, but just the commitment right. day itself. Well, it, it will be interesting to see if that actually happens. And I was thinking about this over the weekend because – 
you and I have talked about what Texas A&M did last year, where they they finally jumped into that echelon, and they're the number one recruiting program in in the class of 2022. You know, we'll see how they they wind up doing in 2023. A lot of dominoes have have to fall still in 2023. But what if Texas does wind up with a top two or three class? What if Notre Dame, which is currently number one in the 24-7 team rankings, like what if they hold on to that? Like, what does that mean for the sport? Because we've talked about not wanting to see all those recruits cluster at the same three or four schools. Well, if somebody difference number one every year, it feels like that may break that that log jam at the top. Yeah, and I just like want to read something to you, not just about classes, but um, just total like where the quarterbacks in the top twenty um, are committed right now, starting from the top. You've got number one Texas, obviously with Arch. Two is USC. Three is Tennessee. So those three are just different from what we've seen the past three years alone. The top three quarterbacks in the country aren't going to Alabama, Georgia, or Ohio State. Right. Four, Dante Moore is considering Oregon. Five, Jackson Arnold is considering Oklahoma. Six mm-hmm. is Clemson. Seven is Miami after Jaden Rashada committed. Uh, eight is Alabama. Um, ten is Louisville. Eleven is Purdue. Thirteen is Baylor for now. Well, not, nine maybe South Carolina. Nine might be South Carolina. There. Yeah. Uh, 14, Iowa State, 15, Arizona, 16, Florida State, 17, North Carolina, 19, Mizzou, and 20, Arkansas. Like that, to me, if you look at the way that that's playing out, just as that, if that's a microcosm of like the where things are going, then, hey, you know, you might start to see a little bit more, you know, pop. So, you know, of course, you're still going to see, um, you know, the the top five programs that we're accustomed to seeing in that. We, rankings, did, we, we did see Ohio State load up on receivers. Yeah, yeah, receivers and, last week. So not, but not just everything's the changing though, overnight. I mean, yeah, like the the fact that Purdue has a top two hundred and ten quarterback committed there, I think is awesome. The fact that well, Pierce and, Clarkson and is going they? to I mean, Louisville is awesome. You know, like look at look at what Aiden O'Connell did at Purdue last year. Look yeah. at how excited everybody is for him this year. Like, there's no reason a school like that shouldn't be able to at least be in the mix for for a good quarterback. Yeah, and I'm super excited to see JJ Cole. Uh, the kid that's from uh, Ankeny, Iowa, who's going to Iowa State. I wrote about him a few years ago when he was just a freshman. But his father is is the the founder of the Coles Kicking Camp, like the biggest yeah. kicking, and he couldn't be a kicker because his feet were too big. So like, <laughs> now, so now he's just a quarterback that's going to Iowa State oh, and just, is just a top a 300 one. player. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, lot, it's a lot of really cool names there. But yeah, you know, I don't know if if the rankings and the way that you read them are going to hold off that way because there's still a lot of players to be, you know, to be committed and yeah, I mean Ohio State sitting at two, Clemson's at four, Georgia's at seven. You know Alabama's going to surge up when they start because a lot of this is guys are at camps right now. They don't necessarily have committable offers yet that they're they're going to be seen by the coaches. They might get that offer, then they commit, and and then all of a sudden in two months you're sitting there and it's Ohio State and Alabama and the usual suspects, but. I don't know. I think it. I think there could be some some shearing off of some of these guys. I mean, Notre Dame has a legitimately good class this year. You yes, know, that's not a fake class. They, they've got, I think, a top five class in the making. Penn State's doing very well. Ohio State is what it is. Clemson, you know, we'll see how it pans out. Texas has a huge ending um, ahead of it potentially. It's like Arkansas, Texas, Tech, Cincinnati, and Northwestern are all going to fall out of the top ten. Um, but you know, there's still a lot of. Like, where's Tennessee going to end up? Can Louisville, you know, 
keep up the momentum after getting Ruben Owens out of Texas and DeAndre Moore yeah. out of California. Well, and, and, like and the, can Louisville hold Ruben Owens with Arch Manning? Do you see he got a tattoo of Louisville's uh, area code on his wrist? Wow, five oh two, baby. Yeah, the fact that you know that off the top of your head is just like another one of those. How does Andy Staples know this off the top of? Listen, his head? that ludicrous song. I could sit there and <laughs> I could name every town, every single one. Uh, we should do that as a challenge. You should challenge me to to an area code duel. What is it? The area code song. The song is called Area Codes. Yeah, the, uh, will you sing it for us? No, <laughs> I can't sing. And I you know what he has in different area be, codes. It's not. Yes, it's it's what, not a very nice thing he's saying about you know about the ladies that that he knows in each of these area codes. I didn't. I didn't know that he listed off all the area codes. Oh yeah, that's right. He did in all the verses. I'm looking at it now. Yeah, now I think I think he got made sure to get all the Atlanta ones in. So he got four zero four seven seven zero six seven eight. He got all those in there. So that's that's you know his home. I'm trying to see. So. I'm looking at the lyrics right now. Did five zero two even make it? It did. I don't. Did five hundred two make it? It did. Yeah, I was just making really? sure. Yes, it's in the out. It's in the end of the song. Yeah, I would not have expected Louisville to make it. Yeah. Well, he's got he's got lovely young women in in in, in various area codes. Yes. Yeah. I, I, does that mean anything to to younger folk anymore? Because they get they get a cell phone when they're a kid, and they just keep the number. Do you have the same number from when you were a kid? I didn't have a cell phone when I was a kid. Well, how old were you when you got your first cell phone? I was 20. Do you have the same number? No, no, because I got a PowerTel phone. And so back in the day, PowerTel, their range was weird. So I could go up to Atlanta and not be roaming from Gainesville, Florida. But if I went down to Orlando, I was roaming. You probably don't don't know what roaming means. Exactly. Roaming means you're paying like three bucks a minute. Yeah, we so had, you don't I call remember anybody roaming, when you're roaming. I didn't really know it. I never really knew what it meant. But I have. I got a cell phone when I was a junior in high school. I think I was seven, 16. Yeah. And I have the same number. I never no, changed I, my cell phone number. I got this number when I started at Sports Illustrated. I, I didn't realize you could that, that if I had asked my old newspaper to port my old number that I could have. I just assumed they owned the number. So I got a new number when I when I got the new job and... Then there was a, I was, I was actually in California. This was, I had a really good couple of years where, when Jim Rome had the, uh, the five day a week show on CBS sports network, they'd bring me out for a week at a time to be the, one of the guest panelists. And it'd be like me and Mike Freeman or me and Greg Doyle or something like that. And we'd, we'd banter with Rome and argue about different, different sports news. And it was great because they set you up in Orange County. You just hang in Newport Beach. Uh, I would go to USC or UCLA and, and get stuff for stories during the day and then come back and, and film the show. But I remember my cell phone broke when I was out there and I, I called SI and IT departments at publications, be they newspapers, magazines, websites, doesn't matter. I, the athletic is completely different because we are a we are a web-based 24-7, 365 publication. So they're on top of things at all times. But back in the day, publications did not get this stuff right. And so it, it, whether I was at my old newspaper at SI, every time I'd call, very clearly they didn't understand my job. So I'd say, okay, my cell phone's busted. What do I do? And they said, well, we can get you a new one in five days. I'm like, I am 3,000 miles from home. So I said, 
can I have my number? And they're like, yeah, sure. So I went to the mall next to Bruce Feldman's house and the Verizon store and got me a cell phone and, uh, and, and kept that number. So now I have that California. Yeah. So that'll be the, no, it's a three, five, two. It's a, it's a Gainesville number. Uh, I thought maybe the same number I had area code. No, no, no. So I, I have, I have had this number since 2008 and I will probably have it until, you know, somebody posted on a, uh, on Twitter and everybody calls me and I have to change it. I, uh, like the idea that the girl who I asked a homecoming soft sophomore junior year of high school mm-hmm. can text me, um, after she said, no. <laughs> nice. so it's not too late for us, Amanda. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> Same number. It <laughs> may have a problem with that. Well, I do remember, like I, I remember my high school phone number or my, my parents' house number, uh, 407-767-5409, because it sounded very similar to 8675309. That is funny. Yeah. Yeah, I don't, you know what's so crazy? And like, I know Britt's number um, off the top of my head, but that is the only person's number that I know. Yeah, I don't know. And I, I think the only numbers. reason why I know that is because it was a password for our Wi-Fi for a while. <laughs> because if it wasn't our password for the Wi-Fi, I was no way like I was thought like if my cell phone broke and I was stranded, like I would not be able to call my wife. As your daughter gets older, you will find yourself writing down your wife's phone number more often. Yeah. So that one will be just ingrained in your memory. Your mother-in-law's number because she's in you know in town and helps out a lot. No chance. We'll right be now. burned in. No, I guarantee you, because she's going to be. No, your no, I'm saying contact. like right now, though, I don't even know what the first digit of her number would be. Right. So you're going to figure it yeah. out because she's going to be your emergency contact. So I don't even know to... my father's number. <laughs> That's amazing. The only one I know is my mom's because she's the only one that hasn't changed her number since high school. It's <laughs> incredible. Why? Why would yeah. I? We don't dial anymore. We don't. And, and it's a lost art knowing phone. I, I realized that the other day I had to quiz my kids on what's my phone number. Do they know it? Uh, my son did. My daughter, we needed to do a little extra, yeah, extra work. Well, I don't but, blame her. But they both have phones which have my number plugged in them. So yeah, yeah. But why would they need to know it off the top of their head? I guess if their it, phone broke, or yeah, or if they didn't have their phone with them and some and they got lost. Yeah, because yeah, I remember when I was very young, my mom teaching me my phone number and my address in case you got lost. You, you could tell somebody where you lived. Yeah, so scary times. It is very different now. Yeah. <laughs> very, very different. Well, yeah, I, I, we, we will have to do the area code challenge one of these days. I, uh, Andy Staples useless information off the top is, of my head challenge. It is. Hey, listen, it's a lost art and it's in there for, I don't know why that information's in there. I couldn't tell you. It pushes out useful stuff. I wish it didn't sometimes, but it's fun at parties, if nothing else. Oh, yeah. Hey, Speaking of, of information, Ari, we, we've got to answer some more five-star questions. We're getting more five-star questions than we can handle because our, our listeners are the best. Um, Mark hit me up on Twitter the other day said, how come you're ducking my question? I said, I, I'm not ducking your question. Which, which question is your question? And so he told me, and I realized it was one that we had set up to ask a few shows ago, and we just ran out of time. And so I thought I, w- I was trying to mark the ones we'd done. I thought we had done his, but we, we had not. So this is a question I want to ask you, and I- I'm very curious how you feel about this. So uh, Mark Mark's a Georgia fan, is wondering if the playoff does expand. Let's say it goes to 12, 12 teams. When are those games going to get played? Like what day of the week, what part of the calendar? Because he's worried 
that, you know, the NFL moves on to Saturday and Sunday once you get near Christmas. And are they going to want to move off Saturday to give college football that day? Or are they going to want to keep it? And the other thing is... Well, the, the national title game is always on Monday, right? So Right. So you don't have to worry about that. And Monday night football is over by the time but when that are happens. But when are the regional game or the semifinal game this usually? Is, I don't even semifinal know. semifinal games, remember the I, original idea was they, they were going to start a new... It was going to be on January 1st when they were in the Rose and the Sugar. And then the other game, the other years, it was going to be a new New Year's Eve tradition. Right. And that was because the Rose and the Sugar locked down their time slots on the first. Well, the first time they did it on New Year's Eve, they realized this is terrible. Like, we're kicking off a game at like 4.30 in the afternoon Eastern time on New Year's Eve. The West Coast people aren't even going to be done with work by the time this game ends. So that didn't work. So then they tried to And it's to a random it day every year, right? Well, they tried to move it to the nearest Saturday. So... The thing is, they've still got that Saturday for the semis, so that's fine. But what you're going to have to do is try to get another Saturday back for the quarters. And I think for the quarters, now you could do that first round that you know the on-campus round. You could do that the week after the conference championship games if you wanted to. the The week that they play Army Navy and they give out the Heisman, because I don't think the NFL is taking Saturday on that week yet. So you can. You can do that that set of games there if you want to, and then move, you know, have a little bit of a more extended break before the quarters, which gives the teams with buys a little more of an advantage, which I think, you know, that's nice. That that adds a little flavor to the regular season too, with, with trying to earn that buy. But so you'd have that on a Saturday. The the tricky part is getting a Saturday, getting the NFL to abdicate a Saturday that it's that it's currently taking. So that you can play, but the NFL only the went quarters. to Saturday just because there was no college games anyway, right? Right, right. And, so, and honestly, it does not matter when they play NFL games; they will get viewers. They don't care. So, would you say the same thing's true for a playoff, though? No, <laughs> they played it's, it's, on Thursday night. You don't think they get they get a ton of viewers? I think they get good viewership, and I do think that what they probably because I've actually talked to some TV people about this. You're not going to do the, the plan would not be four games on one Saturday because when when would you kick them off? You'd kick one off at noon, you'd kick another one off at four, you'd kick another one off at eight, east all 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 times eastern. You're not kicking one off at eleven or midnight. So you'd have your appetizer game on Friday and then three of those games on Saturday. Yeah, Friday night games do really well, I thought. Uh, they don't do great, but if this is a good game, they would do pretty well. So, yeah, I, I kind of I mean, like the idea of like a college football marathon, but I don't think it's possible to kick off a game at 10 a.m. Eastern. And I don't think you should have those games running concurrently. I, I, I no, think they I don't should either. each get their own window. So I would say do one game Friday, three games Saturday, that first the, the weekend after the conference championship games. And then, and then you could play the Friday game based on the seating, and if you get less of a layover time, then that could be a penalty for having a lower seat or something. Like you get correct. creative with it. Yeah, it, exactly. And then, and then what you do is maybe you have two weeks between the first round of games and the quarters, and then go that that Saturday, play the quarters. Then you you play the in this semis new world. December as a as a month isn't going to be the same ever again, right? No, it's not. Now, there still are going to be those other bowl games, which 
you and I are still going to watch, but they're just going to be Monday night, Tuesday night. Uh, I love when you get into the marathons, like when you get to like December 22nd and you've got games from like noon through the night. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, me too. So, you know, I, I, that's, that's, I love that spending a, a random Tuesday that way. Cause my kids are home. I'm, I, I'm home with them. I may or may not have to work. And, and a lot of people be in the same boat where you may be on vacation already. That's a, that's a very good day when, you know, there's a lot going, you're still getting ready for the holidays, but also you've got three games that you can sit and watch. So give me all of that and and do the friday night appetizer and then give me noon four eight on that saturday yeah that would be good so all right dog, dog man mark so we, we weren't I think uh, we weren't ducking him we were not ducking you I, I i i appreciate the question we'll be right back after these words when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the problem is is our listeners are too awesome, Ari. They 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 have too many questions. So we've just got to try to to answer as many as we can. Here's one from uh from B Denny29. Uh question with these five stars. Have you considered Arizona State? I feel like they've listened to you, Ari. Why aren't the five stars just considering Arizona State out of you know location? scenery everything else that th- this there's a there's an opportunity being missed yeah, i feel like it's an internal question that will be asked every year until the end of time like what in my mailbag today somebody's asked does arizona state have a plan and it's like i don't i mean everybody knows where i stand on it you know i, I think that arizona state is the most potentially the most underachieving recruiting uh program in college football uh there are too many programs that would be less fun to play for that recruit better than them, frankly put. So, you know, I don't know what the NIL situation was. Their athletic director uh, was so kind to say that they weren't going to focus on it, which was the by far one of the dumbest things I've ever heard in my entire life. Um, No offense, but you know, that's not the thing that I would say if I were the athletic director. And, you know, I like to do even like have a firm understanding about like what the long-term vision for Herm Edwards tenure there is. Like, does he seem there for the long haul? Or well, like no, because the original long term, the original plan, remember when he got hired, was he was going to be kind of a CEO and that Billy Napier was going to stay as the offensive coordinator and Phil Bennett was going to stay as the DC. And that lasted about a week. And then they were gone. And then, and then it was just sort of up in the air. Now, he did a decent enough job that first couple of years, but then everything happened with the NCAA and they've lost a lot of their roster, and it just doesn't feel like there's much momentum at that point. Yeah, and it's just like, what is the actual plan? Like, if you sat down with Herm Edwards right now and said, what are you guys, like, how are you building this thing? Like, I don't even know what the answer is. Yeah, and and I'm not sure in this era where everything has fundamentally changed in the past year, I'm not sure they have a plan. So, yeah, it might be time to to find a, 
either formulate that plan with a, a revamped coaching staff around Herm Edwards or just do something different. And, you know, that Ray Anderson, the athletic director, I, I, I does not seem very interested in firing Herm Edwards. So they, they've just got to get that figured out. Uh, we got a question from Patrick. Ask, he asked about the Lawrence Vikings chances in the Midwest Conference this season. Are you know anything about D3? Uh, I know a lot about it. I, I love I Wisconsin Whitewater is usually awesome. Mount Union, Mary Harden, Baylor. But I, I love about, Lawrence's I, chances. You like Lawrence? Yeah, I think I think they're going to win it all this year. Are you glad that Patrick told you they were the Vikings because you wouldn't have known that and would have had to look that up? That's right. Yes. Here's a question that uh, T Shear seventy three asked that I honestly would like to know the answer to as well. I hadn't even thought of this. Why does Ari have a blue check mark on Instagram, but not Andy? I don't even know why I have a, a blue check mark on Instagram. It was from my old days um, at cleveland.com when I got oh. that done. Oh. So, so it was um, the, I can give it hard, to you. When you had the hardest fade in the universe? Yes, back in the day. I mean, it helped me pool girls, you know? Uh, so I'm so I, just need, I just need a tighter fade is what you're saying. That, that will get Have you ever done a fade? Check. I think you could pull it off now with Mr. Sixpack. I think I can pull it off now. I've, I've buzzed it. I buzzed it for a football game. <laughs> yeah, it, we still got killed. We were playing our rivals, Lake Brantley, my senior year, and and all of us on the offensive line, we were together. I can't remember whose house we were over at watching a movie one night. We were like, let's buzz our hair. Yeah, we'll, we'll you know, solidarity. We'll kick their butts, and and we'll look great doing it. And, and I look terrible. My head is horribly misshapen. You've got I'll a good head of hair now, though. Well, I yeah, I've got a good head of hair, and it hides the horribly misshapen head. So I, I, I just want to keep that up. Yeah, I you will can, never uh, never do this again. Sprinkle some ant legs on there if it uh, if it ever starts going away. You know, I don't have all the greatest gifts physically, but I've got a tremendous head of hair. Yeah, that's yeah, like do. someone told me that uh, no one gets everything. Um, I think that's true. I got the I got the hair. Yes. Yes, that's exactly right. Hey, Aria, Johnny, one Johnny, one 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 wants to know: uh, You frequently voice your opinion on, that a program needs multiple top five recruiting classes to win a national championship. How then would you explain the fact that within the past six years, Clemson has won two national titles without a single top five class? The classes that made up their championship rosters were all ranked between nine and twenty, with a ninth ranked 2015 class being the only one inside the top ten. Dude, can I answer this for him? Deshaun Watson and Trevor Lawrence. Uh, I thought you were going to let me say my favorite stat of all time that I'm tattooing on my body. Go for it. Only three teams in the history of modern-day recruiting have won a national championship without having signed a top-five class in any of the previous four years. The two Clemson teams that were just said, Mm -hmm. and Auburn with Cam Newton. And if you really like think about it... Oh, um, so if you have an all-time great quarterback, you're in good shape. Congratulations. Yes, and also all three of those teams signed multiple top 10 classes, I think, in the previous four years. So yes, it's not like they didn't players. sign. They, they were terrible at recruiting. They just they didn't have the top five distinction, but they still had really good classes and also three of the best quarterbacks that ever played college football. Is that like he's saying, how would you explain that? I would explain it because they had three of the best quarterbacks of all time. On those I think that's a that's a very satisfactory ex- explanation, which kind of goes back to what we were saying at the beginning of the podcast, where if you stack them up enough, your chances of getting that special guy get better. And, and the other thing, too, I wonder is now in the world of, you know, the Elite 11, which I'm going to this week and the amount of money uh, people are paying for coaches and and personal uh, trainers and all this stuff to become more proficient quarterbacks earlier in age. 
if those advantages that those teams had at the quarterback position, you know, even 10, 15, five years ago, I mean, what was Cam Newton's national championship run like 13 years ago now? Uh, it was 12 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. 2010. I don't think that those advantages are as stark at the quarterback position as they used to be. Like, Well, I, I'm not sure that Cam Newton team would win the national title in this environment because it had Cam, who was amazing. It had Nick Fairley, who was a dominant defensive lineman. Mm-hmm. But no one else who was il- really elite at any of their positions. Uh, Philip Lutzen Kirkin was a really good tight end who unfortunately passed away before he got to play in the NFL. But there wasn't anybody else on those teams that was just bl- like if you compare it to, say, the rosters of the Georgia teams and the Alabama teams and the Ohio State teams. And when we just mentioned Clemson, even though not recruiting those top five classes, but just with NFL guys all over the field, like that's just not what that Auburn team was. So I'm not I'm not sure if and also Cam Auburn won it in a year where they had the benefit of not having to play at a conference championship game in a playoff back to back too. Right. Right. And well, they also beat the toughest competition because that 2010 Alabama team was was really good. It was stocked with talent, but that was not a good year for Alabama. They lost at LSU. They lost at South Carolina. So they they get to that that Iron Bowl with two losses. They know they're out of the national title picture. They still should have won that game. I mean, that's one of the greatest comebacks I've ever seen. And the the defensive end who made the play running down Mark Ingram to knock the ball out and force him to fumble instead of just letting him score. I mean, it it was that changed the whole game. And you know, it it's so if and if they'd have lost, they're they're not playing for the national title, I don't think. Because everybody's looking for an excuse to keep keep that team out. So yeah, it's it's really interesting. Could Cam have lifted them in this era? Because I mean, you look at the the guys that that Trevor Lawrence was. Look at the defensive line on the other side of the field at Clemson when Trevor Lawrence was the starting quarterback. I mean, well, it, I just it, think it would be irresponsible too for us to not year. to not act like Clemson's defensive staff specifically isn't some of the best collection of or was at the time before they all bolted to new jobs. Uh, the best talent evaluators in the sport for right. the past seven Co- years correct. too. So and, like that was like part of it. Um, yeah. I mean, this like should the excite Isaiah you Simmons of the world, you know? Right. And that's what should excite you if you're an Oklahoma fan, because you you've got a head coach now who could go win a recruiting battle for Christian Wilkins, who everybody in the world wanted, but also could go find Isaiah Simmons and go, whoo, you could be special. Come here. Even though none of the other schools at our level are recruiting you. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that, as and also too, it's just like the last four years, the concentration of talent is getting more and more stacked at the top. Yeah, that like I'm not necessarily sure, and you know, if it continues for another five years, that the teams like Clemson will be good enough to win, you know, in ten years from now. Well, they you might know? be if if they, what we were talking about earlier, if the talent is is spreading out a little more. No, but then, if it stays as congested, though, like I if mean, it does, the game is so different. It's like not even the same type of game as like the Auburn year that they won. Like you said, you don't think that Auburn could have won in that environment. Yeah, I'm, so I'm like not if you sure place that Auburn him, team yeah. with Cam against the Alabama team from last year or Georgia's team from last year. Right. Um, like, I don't think they would be able to win those games. But. Right, because and, and in the playoff era, that Auburn team, even though they got past Alabama that year, they would have had to play two more teams like that. Yeah, could they have, that could they have beaten the Alabama – won the SEC championship game and then won two playoff games in a row with that roster? It would have been tough. Because, I mean, Oregon Oregon pushed him pretty hard. 
Yeah. And it took it. Auburn kicked a field goal at the end of the game to break a tie and win it. So it, it absolutely would have been tougher. So one more question. And we, like I said, we got so many good five star questions. And if you leave a five star a question with your five star review, we're going to find a way to answer it on the show. And, uh, you know, th- this is it's our way of goosing the system. But it's also our way of finding out what do you guys want to talk about? Because uh, you ask very intelligent questions. This is a really good one, Ari. And, and I don't know how I missed this the other day. So this is in Carlisle, D.C. Asking about Michigan. Say, hey, it says, hey, Ari and Andy, Michigan fan in Atlanta. Got a Michigan question for you. Was the Harbaugh hire a success? He was hired to win the Big Ten and to get to the playoff. It took him longer than we thought, but he did get it done. Nick Baumgartner once said, if Michigan was more like Auburn, that that you knew they could get Alabama once every few years, Michigan fans would be happy with that in regard to beating Ohio State once every few years. Do you think that's true? Does Michigan as an institution want to be excellent in football, meaning does Harbaugh or any other Michigan coach have the support, money, infrastructure, and facilities compared to other schools? I remember the Rose Bowl was the goal, not the national title. It seems like Ohio State is the only Big Ten program that dared to dream bigger than the Rose Bowl. Really good questions, Mr. Carlisle, that that is a, I mean, that's that's a question of Michigan's mission statement. And I think with the with the and the era fundamentally changing here in college football, I think Michigan has a chance to answer that one anew. I think we know what the old answer was, but I'm not sure we know what the new answer is. Yeah, I wish you would have asked this question at the beginning of the podcast. We had 45 more minutes to just to dissect this whole thing. But my oh, whole- we can do it again. I mean, listen. All right, we can harken back to the days when we just were like, Jim Harbaugh, go. Yeah, no, <laughs> I, I do think it's an interesting point, and I don't really know how if I feel that passionately about it, but like, if you would have told me at the beginning of the Jim Harbaugh era that he would win year six for the first time, that was year six, right? That was, yeah. Um, I'd be like, oh, you know, but now watching... Oh, no, it was year that, seven. It was year seven. That was year seven? Yeah. If I would have said his first year beating Ohio State was year seven... I'd be like, oh, no, that's not good, because I remember when that first happened, the entire uh, you know dynamic of that hire was there's a new 10-year war between Harbaugh and, and Urban Meyer and Ohio State-Michigan rivalry was back. But seeing kind of the circumstances of how we got to year seven and like the fact that they were able to get over the hump last year the way that they did, you know, I don't know. I feel like it's a little bit – maybe I took it for granted a little bit how hard it would be to beat Ohio State for them. You know, and the it's, fact that they were able to do it, I think, changes things a little bit. Now, the question I have is, do you think that beating Ohio State once every six years makes you a successful program? Um, and that's something that I think the Michigan administration and, and the fans would would have to say, because I have always thought that Michigan um, could be a program that competes at the highest level nationally. Um, I, why not Michigan, right? You know, um, yeah. so if you go into a three or four year period now where you lose to Ohio State every other year and you sign classes in between 10 and 15 and win nine or 10 games every year and get smacked at the end of the year by Ohio State, then like, is that, are we back to being okay with that? Like, I don't, I think the, the expectation is should Ohio, I mean, should Michigan fans believe that their team can win a national championship? I think that's step one. Right. And if the answer to that is no, then this is a successful coach. Well, but it's not necessarily about their belief either, because the administration has to be willing to to do it that and way. And my understanding like, is the administration isn't as bought into football as other programs. Right. Are. I don't I don't understand. This is this is this is not 
me being someone who grew up in SEC country not getting this. This is me just thinking about this logically. Like, I don't understand why Michigan as a as a university would be reluctant to look at football the way Ohio State does and treat football exactly the same way Ohio State does. Because I don't feel like caring about football, being very good at football, putting a lot of resources into football, I don't feel like that downgrades you as an academic institution. Why, why do people not like Notre Dame? People don't like Notre Dame. That's, just, that's a different deal because Notre Dame I don't know that it is. They had the national TV deal. They had no. I know, but like, what is the the number one thing though that you think that like a regular person doesn't the independence like Notre Dame? and 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 the NBC contract and then those the, are the, the independence and the NBC contract um, are kind of symptoms of this. But there is this sense of aura about Notre Dame of like levitating above the rest of us a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. And like the thing that I I thought of all the things that I heard from a new coach in the past cycles that Marcus Freeman said at one point that really resonated with me was just because we're going to sell the academics and the atmosphere and the network and the alumni and all the things that we have to offer at Notre Dame doesn't mean that we can't also be a football factory in the past. There seems to be a disconnect between football factory and a good education and I don't understand why you can't have a good education, you, but you also like go both. sell yeah. out completely yeah. into being a football factory. Yeah. So the reason why I bring up Notre Dame is because if you have a coach that recognizes that, that knows that they can have Lamborghinis on the field and do official visits the same way that everybody else does and obsess over football and talk the talk and do all the things that everybody else does, that you can sell the academics and all the other things that Notre Dame is known for on top of being a football powerhouse. Right. And to me, that is a it. highly, uh, highly selective, academically prestigious institution that gives up also that is yeah, obsessed and team. wants to win national yeah. championships. And like, I feel like that didn't exist in Notre Dame until he was there. So I'm very curious to see how that all pans out. But I think there's this aura about Michigan um, being a, an academically, um, superior school to most of the the counterparts that it faces. And there seems to be this sort of like downside look at like, well, if we sold out and we became just Ohio state in football, then that would somehow diminish who we are as a university. And I've never understand the disconnect yeah. between those two things. It, it wouldn't you so, would still have, you, you would still have all of the, the, the schools within why the is it Michigan and NIL an NIL juggernaut? Like all exactly. I've ever heard about Michigan for the past 10 years is they have more money than God. But like where where is it? Where's the money? Like why? It, it's it's a willingness to treat it the way that Ohio State or Alabama treats. And like, it. do and Michigan fans think that if they paid a player to come there, or they completely bought into the way that things work in college football now, that they would somehow have to like lower themselves into being like Ohio State? I don't. Th- I don't think the average fan feels that way. The average fan and the people who control the the, the strings of the program, I think, are on different pages. Yeah, I, I think that's what we're talking about here. And again, I wouldn't think any less of Michigan if they did that as a school. Like if one of my kids could get into Michigan, I would be over the moon. Like, wouldn't that, you rather wouldn't, wouldn't you rather go play for a school that is a football powerhouse that will develop you into a first round pick but also gives you a top 10 education and power 5? I mean, that's what Jim Harbaugh and, and David Shaw were selling when Stanford was the best team in the Pac-12. Yeah. But I feel like Michigan disconnects those two things. So I don't know. Like Yeah. I feel I've like you said you you said back in the days of like we'll talk about Michigan go it's like it just bothered me because there seemed to be this acceptance to mediocrity amongst Michigan fans now, because there was like a like a just an understanding that they're never going to be Ohio State in football. And even if that's the case, 
Um, you know, what happened last year doesn't have to be as weird as it felt. You know what I mean? Like it was the first time in over a decade. I think that they won the game. It's like mm-hmm. they should still be able to win three out of ten. Like I don't think that's an right. absurd thing to strive well, for. And, and, and in the years that so, they win three out of ten, actually win a playoff game. Our our listener brought up Auburn. Three out of ten is about Auburn. I think Auburn did a little bit better than that, than than three out of ten in, in that decade. Um, so, yeah, I, it's it doesn't make sense to me, but I do wonder if we can kind of connect it to a conversation that we were having a few weeks ago. Does Michigan State now seeming willing to play this game differently and more like Ohio State and more like Penn State? Does that add pressure to Michigan to do it that way? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, if Michigan State's beating them too, so it's not like it's some sort of, you know, right. Michigan State, little, beating I mean, them on Michigan field State well. beats them on the yeah. field all the time. So, yeah. you know. Um, but the question I thought that's most interesting, and I'm not even sure I have a, a an answer to it. Um, I want to know what you think is like, is the Harbaugh tenure a success to this point? So he got them where he was hired to get them. I, I don't think anybody would say he got them there as quickly as he should have. But other than 2020, which was a weird year, the pandemic, I don't know that anything really counts in that year. They did tend to beat the teams they were supposed to beat. So they were better than they were under Brady Hoke and Rich Rodriguez, which is what you wanted. But were they nationally elite? No. Were they nationally elite last year? Yes. Can they be again? That's If you can do that once every few years, I'd say that's a successful tenure. If you suddenly drop into you're always losing to Ohio State again, you're losing to Michigan State most of the time, then no, it's not a successful tenure. Yeah. It's like, it's funny to me because their recruiting class right now has zero juice to it. Uh, and it's yeah, like kind of like that. And it's early, so you never know how it pans out. Maybe they'll get get some extra guys there and it will. But it's like this whole idea of like expand the playoff and then you can sell the fact that you can play in the playoff. It's like if you go look at every team that's made the four-team playoff that didn't typically doesn't, their class the following year was just blah. It's like Washington well, I, class wasn't very good the following year. Michigan's class isn't Washington very good right now. Washington also doesn't take does especially under Chris Peterson did not have that philosophy. We're going to get OKGs, our kind of guys. Well, no, you still got to go try to get the best players. Like, yeah, I mean, it now, just you would think Penn that it's just State, like well, Michigan made if the playoff. Penn State had made an expanded playoff because they're trying to get the best players. I don't know. I'd like to see it, but you know, I just you would think that Michigan the following year would have four top 100 players through June. They'd be humming. Dante Moore would be committed already. All these things, and it's just like not happening. So, and I'm trying to think of like all the one-off teams, like Notre Dame. I guess is a, it's its own, you know, on its own island with their academic standards and stuff. But their recruiting classes didn't go through the roof the year after making the playoff. The few times they did under Brian Kelly, and it's just like I think that making a top five class is. I think a lot more into it than just making the playoff one year. There is there Michigan it's state not too. just your results on the field. And yeah. also you should understand better than most people because of how recruiting cycles work. By the time you yeah, make that playoff, that class is in the barn. Like, no, I know, but the class after it watched it. Yeah. That's the class that you're signing right after is the, is the class that's their recruitment you're, is heating up the second year on the stage. Yeah. I mean, at this point, you're you're kind of in on those guys too. Whether you're 
you know whether you're the in the last on them or football not. games that were played in college were the playoff games, and those are the last um, games that the players who are committing right now watched. Yeah. Well, maybe you just got to do the best NIL deal, Ari. I guess maybe, maybe that's how it works. That's in, it in in today's era because as we were discussing with the quarterbacks and where they're headed, it does seem like things are spreading out a little bit. So mm -hmm. perhaps that, that means things are going to change, but Ari, I'm so glad you're feeling better. Have a safe trip to elite 11. I expect a full report when you get back. I'm taking my keep, podcast, Mike. So keep in touch if you need me. Well, I'll, I, I'll have I, it there. I was going to say, I may need to just contact you because Antonio Morales, our USC beat writer will be there with you. And He's, you're going to say ridiculous things. He's going to wisely try to contradict you. That means we will have a Judge Andy episode ready to roll where I rule on which of you is correct. And we're working on a story together, so we might file that together in the same room. And oh, so there. you're going to so argue. Do that. You're going to argue can, a lot. Yeah. 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 It might be good. We're working on a story right now. Um, we contacted, and I'm giving all the stories away that we're working on, but we contacted a bunch of careful recruiting coordinators. Um, and ask them how they would spend their like their allotment of NIL money if it were up to them. Like how they I would love allocate it. it. Cannot wait. And I can't wait to hear how you two argue over that. And I'm sure Antonio <laughs> will be correct. And I, that's how I will rule. But thank you so much for listening. It has been a pleasure. Ari Washerman, have a safe trip. And we will talk to you guys on Wednesday.